This is Death Before Dishonor. I'm Genesee. My character is Xanatari. She's a good aligned Kalishtar war priest. I'm Daniel. This symbol is renowned for being associated with the Rod of Orcus, the artifact that I'm after. I'm Eric. My, my name is, is Cesar. I was a, a slave worker for the uh, undead armies of Thay for 75 years. And I'm Tinzian. Shall we start this over again? One of the beauties of D&D. Can't end the story. Goes anywhere you want it. Welcome to Death Before Dishonor. I'd like to introduce you to the show if you've not listened before, and we'll probably have some new listeners from SignalsMedia.com. We have a super feed that is going to go out this month, so we may have some people that have never listened to the show before, and I'd like to tell you, you are coming in at an excellent time. We have a previously on, which is our version of a recap of the last several months, where Rabbit generously goes through our episodes and picks out clips that are relevant and assembles them together in a fun and hopefully humorous uh, amalgamation of information. So you can catch up if you have missed any of the episodes for our regular listeners, or if you'd just like to have it all together at once where you can hear the story in a flowing form. This is excellent for you. So we have two portions of previously on. This will be the first one, the first half, and will encompass, hmm, I'd say the last 10 or so, 15 or so episodes. And it will catch us up eventually to the point where we are currently. So we will be resuming our recording schedule, which we had paused for a few weeks due to Cesar's recent move into a new house. Yay. And some of our holiday hours, which are uh, people working extra. So we will resume our live recordings on Fridays at 1030 Eastern Time this coming Friday. And you can listen to us and watch us and hear the totally unedited, goofy, and strange things that happen when we record live at 1030 Eastern Time on twitchtv.com slash genesee. And I would encourage you to join us. It is fun. You will have probably an episode or two ahead of where you hear in the uh, MP3 currently, but I think it's worth it, and, and I think you will enjoy it. So welcome to our new signalsmedia.com listeners uh, and affiliates, and also... Our regular listeners, I hope you do enjoy this uh, recap and have fun with this story today. The party has been assigned some degree of status by these patrolling Minotaur due to the display of currency. The Minotaurs then led the party to an overlook which uh, appears to be showing the valley containing, the rather massive valley containing the Seven Pillared Hall. The ground. Kind of like a like a subway entrance ish yep. yep. type of deal. Yep. In a way. Uh, okay. Pretty massive. There's probably the the gate could hold six very large uh, merchant carts, wagons, mm-hmm. um, abreast. And uh, was there a lot of activity? A little activity? No activity at the gate? Quite a lot of activity. Um, there yeah. seems to be traffic going in and out. There may be the mentality of, hey, if you've got the coin, we'll let you in. So you're not really sure what you may encounter under there. Well, given that they seem to be um, mostly into trading and it doesn't matter what the item is, um, you know, this could potentially be like almost like a black market of, of sorts. Um, although it might not seem like that on the surface. Um, there might be a definite sort of uh, criminal trading post, I guess, underneath, like underlying, like that's a place where you can do shady deals and no one will sort of bat an eyelid because you no know, money is money. The cloth that you have being a flag seems 
to, of course, hold true even upon closer inspection. Mm-hmm. The flags all incorporate in some manner at least a base element of the Minotaur head. Some are just uh, creature heads that incorporate the Minotaur horns. Some have the snout. Some are this wonderfully rich tapestry of things, and somewhere in it they have a Minotaur. So there's there's some small theme through each of the flags that you can see, mm-hmm. but it's not a, a dominant portion. But uh, I'm going to roll a, a perception check. Okay. Uh, I roll a 25. <laughs> okay. This is going to be just about the gates. There are an extreme number of murder holes within mm-hmm. the gate area where oil could be poured down or some other liquid or casters could lurk along with um, archers. The position of the mountains outside that were ringing the valley are taken up by an actual column. And it's not like uh, the, the ones with the, you know, the fluty edges, the Doric, Ionic, whatever. Mm. It's just that there's actually seven huge columns, and they are all um, covered in glyphs of different kinds, um, or at least some sort of uh, markings are all over the pillars. And you can even see the lights glinting from each of them along the way. And an immense, but not uh, disturbingly so, I guess you can call it a, a globe of daylight and a globe of uh, pure night kind of fused together is hanging from a giant iron chain from the ceiling of the um, from the roof. How long would it take to walk across the city? Probably a couple hours. There seems to be um, a, cen- a central pathway up the city, okay. but it looks chock full. And then if you went off to the sides into all the other buildings and stuff, it's, for lack of a better term, it's a minotaur maze. This minotaur steps aside and allows you all to pass. The building, as you get closer, becomes more and more exquisite. I mean, there's fine detail in... The gold work, you know, the the columns appear wrapped with gold. But as you get closer, Beautiful you see that there's actually images, you know, stamped into it. The brass is perfectly polished. It's it's beautiful. It's clear that this building perhaps predates the Minotaurs, but that there is enough surrounding work done that there is a Minotaur influence that has been later put upon the building. It seems like each large group that has at some point in time perhaps controlled or had sway over the city has had some sort of mark or impact upon this building. In each case, instead of being a discorporate collection of changes, they all blend in really, really nicely. Um, I'd like to roll a dungeoneering check to see whether I can identify any sort of like secret panels or... Uh, like hidden tunnels, exits, etc. that okay. might have been built into the walls. Uh, that's a 25? Yeah. Okay. 10 plus 15. Yeah. Your eyes, as you try and take in um, this building, seem to spy far, far too many potential secret doors, entrances, and exits. Anybody else want to roll a dungeoneering? Sure! No, no. Mine it's confusing sucks. enough already. Who wants to roll a, a dungeoneering? I'm, I'm trained in dungeoneering. I have a plus 12. Okay. 22. Cesar. What? This place is just an amazing feat of engineering. 
There is gizmos. There are whirling locks. Yeah, who sits in what sits galore? Oh yes. Let's <laughs> just break. Let's let's just break it down to that. There's a who's it's and there's a what's it and then there's another who's it and another what's it for that who's it is, and what's it. Is there a whatchamacallit? Is it thingamabobs? There are more whatchamacallits that you can actually call it and then still wonder what the hell it is. How about a gigaws? Um, I think you bought those out in the other uh, oh, town, okay. so I think you're you're good. But this this is a marvel of engineering, and it is like the playhouse for your sort of artificer class. Thorn, yes. as you're passing through, uh, you happen to notice that there are no security systems on the door itself. In terms of somebody goes running by, flips a switch, suddenly there's a trap there. Mm, okay. You know that's handy to know. Yeah, it is. Writing it down. Mm-hmm. And Cesar, as you go walking by, you happen to notice that there is no mechanism for someone to flip as they go running by. But there is still a whole lot of engineering and uh, wonderful gears. Uh, I bet those doors open like silk. <laughs> yep. The building contains but one room. It's a large room. Yeah. About 100 by 100 in size feet. Sitting at a smallish desk uh, in a rather uh, splendid-looking chair, uh, the desk itself is well-crafted, in the center of the room is a uh, well-dressed, sort of in perhaps the Persian style, gentleman. Not and, a hmm Nope, not a, not a minotaur. Uh, human, uh, fairly well-portioned, uh, kind of dark-skinned, but not in you know, a level of drow. Uh, clearly human. And standing next to it is a uh, another human. This one far less regally dressed, but uh, hmm, more in the Egyptian motif of not slave, not pharaoh, but someone of station. Like a and vizier, a president. They're holding the, the this other person is holding a tray of what appears to be uh, fruit with a goblet of uh, some liquid in it. And uh, there is a large box further behind. And you are brought before the, uh, before the, the gentleman sitting, who takes a moment to, perhaps is meditating, whatever, takes a moment to focus his gaze upon the party. Have the uh, the gentleman and the fruit bearing what's his face? Have they uh, actually looked at us at all, or have they been pretty much negligent of our presence? Oh no! Each of you, each of you has been looked at. Okay, and then, then w- the minotaurs have seemed to have vouched for the yes. You're supposed okay. to be standing. Right. All right. Well, then I will uh, greet them. I will say, you know, hello. I am Mithrin. Uh, who are you, and and uh, are you the leaders of this city? I, I would actually say uh, I'm. Where I am from is uh, my own business, but uh, my name is enough. Hmm. hmm. Soon, perhaps we shall see, because soon it will be all of our business to conduct business. I am here to take a certain accounting of things. Well, uh, what is it you want from us? Well, we would ask the same question of you. Uh, you have approached our city. You have apparently shown 
the border guards something of note to have had them bring you here. Uh, perhaps you have wished to establish a trading account. Yes. No, no, Yes, no, we do wish to open no. an account. Um, no. We wish to trade with the people of this city. Um, we are travelers, you see, and we come across many rare goods in our travels, uh, most of which are quite valuable, and we'd like to uh, offload some of those uh, valuables here to boost your economy, if you will. Mithrin loses the focus of the human as he sort of turns slowly, nonchalantly, but uh, turns his attention upon Thorn, and he goes, Ah, someone who understands, and who might you be? By the way, um, over okay. the mine link, there's sort of the sound, uh, just kind of in you know the background, like maybe down a hallway or something, if there was one. The, the sound of, like, little kids when they get, like, to the bottom of a glass or something, and they've got a straw, and it's just that kind of sucking sound. Yep. Yes. There's, there's just a smidge of that over the mine link. So there's, there's, like, a little fuzzy kind of whatever. Or it may not be over the mine link. It's, like, psychic static? Or is it, like, not a private channel? Is that what you're saying? Not quite sure, but there's there's kind of a this. So, someone must have be having a really really good smoothie somewhere. In response to this, I uh, guess, good sir, my name is Thorn of No Land, uh, and I make a living by acquiring goods. And these goods, uh, although lovely uh, to travel with, can be quite cumbersome. So I would like to partake of business, if you will, and unburden myself of these goods. They will fetch quite a price, I can guarantee you. And I say, ah, oh, sir, so would you perhaps like to see what I have to offer? And I lay the stone that I'd taken from Cesar earlier <laughs> and put it onto the desk uh, for him to see. Um, I, is there actually like a, a like a velvet cushion or, or something that he has that he uses to appraise like gems and stuff? There actually is. You didn't quite see it before, but um, as you get right up onto the table, you see that in in the center there's a nice velvet cushion recessed into uh, the thing. As you're coming back and sort of whipping around, you realize that there are some flaws to the machinery for a couple moments, uh, the engineering. There's some gaps of what appear to be uh, plaster and... uh, mortar brick. Okay. And the room itself seems a bit smaller for a time. It's kind of like, wow, that, you know, I didn't realize we were kind of off to the left that much. Okay. And uh, that sense is still with me, or did it, was it fleeting, what you described? It was fleeting. Okay. I would like to actually roll a perception check on the guy holding the fruit. I'm looking at the guy, and I'm seeing, like, what his expression is. Like, is he following the conversation? Is he just vacantly, like, I'm holding fruit? Is he, like, what's his interest level? You know, that kind of, that kind of thing. It's the, 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 the platter is exqui- exquisitely held. Okay. Um, the grapes have not uh, moved. But um, for a moment, and then as you're kind of focusing an even longer moment you sort of realize that this guy is not just sort of tuning out in terms of 
okay, my boss is talking business. I don't yeah. know of anything. He's extremely glazed over as if under the effects of something. Sure. And there appears to be a tube that is running down from the side of his head, uh, sort of back behind his ear, into what uh, you thought it was kind of like a wine glass or a goblet. There appears to be some sort of small hookah-type object that he is okay. holding. And from the hookah, there appears to be a tube running to the person sitting in the chair. Cesar, you had sent a Minotaur out to collect the bags, and the Minotaur soon returns and places them uh, at your feet with a, you know, uh, a, a delicate sense of uh, um, dropping something. But the sound of coin does draw the attention of the human that's sitting there. And again, he sits forward just ever so slightly and goes, Ah, perhaps someone with the correct language wishes to speak. Could I grab your shoulder and pull you aside for a second? <laughs> On your way up there? <laughs> and, yeah. And say, uh, uh, Cesar, my good man, you know, my, my bestest uh, friend. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, what do you see? around here. I mean, what, what, are you, what are you seeing? I, I'm just having a feeling here. Like, like tell me what, what is right in front of you right now. Your what do you see? Face. No, not my face. Like, well, what, what's what do you mean? to the distance? What's in the vista? What, what, what's the city look like? You mean that this room? Yeah. Well, uh, there's all sorts of uh, knickknacks and, and what's-its and who's-its galore. <laughs> okay. Um, Quite finely engineered, I must say. Though I... I mean, Mother Sunders, I do suspect a bit of uh, uh, trickery going on here. I would imagine. Uh, I would like to roll perception to see if this matches up with what I see. <laughs> at this point, I would like to look at Cesar and say, I'm getting a feeling we are being bamboozled, <laughs> to say the least, because you see something you find attractive. I see something I find attractive in this room. It seems like we're all being led to think that this place is awesome when it may be nothing of what we see. With sort of a, a, a measured sense of care, the uh, human in the chair reaches out and with one arm and opens the uh, bag containing the money and sort of sifts fingers through the top layer and then sits back and eyes Cesar um, uh, with some degree of approval and, and perhaps surprise and he goes this will do just fine but are you claiming and there's kind of a, a, a weak finger sort of gesture towards the rest of the party yep so we will start off and Cesar uh, he pulls out a small gadget that has a needle on it that's sort of quivering back and forth and he starts moving it around in the air sort of subtly and uh, tries to get a reading off of that. And he rolls an 18 total. The needle breaks off. One failure. Uh, so, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so he pulls out a, a replacement needle and, and fixes it on there and realizes that the, the power source is a little uh, wonky. So he, pull, he flips it over and uh, readjusts some wires and uh, flips it back over. 
takes another reading and rolls a 29. Very good. And uh, a light lights up on the, the base of the, the unit, uh, which is sort of stage one. And so he uh, plugs in another small thing into the back of it and uh, takes another reading in a different area, sort of points it at a different area of the room. Uh, 24. Actually, for that description, I'll give you that one. Okay. Nice. The, 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 the thing that I plugged in starts to fall out, but he quickly slams it back in, and another light pops up on the, uh, the uh, magicometer. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> then he, what he does is uh, he uh, reaches into another pouch, and uh, there's like a, a, one of his winged creatures, and he uh, sort of plugs it briefly into the back of it and then just sort of lets it fly. And it sort of does a, a circle around in the area and tar- starts to take readings that way. And uh, I roll a t- t- 32, so it definitely starts to pick up on uh, something going on. And then um, and Cesar just puts the... the He hooks the, the unit onto his belt and then just stands very still and just takes one <laughs> sniff. That was two. Takes one... <laughs> Sniff. <laughs> you can't take one sniff. Let's take two. Uh, just you know, sort of going off of his senses at that point, and that's a natural one because that is absolutely not how Caesar interacts with magic at all. Um, we will deal with the one in a moment. Okay. Um, so he immediately pulls out the the unit and uh, smacks it on the side to try to get some more life out of it, and uh, takes another reading with that and gets a twenty one. Um, Starts uttering undead swears, <laughs> swear words <laughs> under his breath. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then, uh, then he remembers that. Uh, what does he remember? Oh, that the uh, the thing that's flying around has to be brought in and rehomed with the system. So he uh, uh, brings it back and does that and uh, sends it out in another reconnaissance and gets a 24. Uh, I'll I'll give you that one. Okay. What am I at right now? Uh, Four successes, three failures. Okay. And a one of those. And then he he finally pulls out his his book, which is actually his crossbow, and uh, slots yeah, it still looks like a book, though, and slots the unit under that to give it its final sort of wide signal boost to try to get an encompassing uh, reading of the whole room, and gets 28. You have the absolute perfect, crystal, suddenly crystal clear picture, an image, sound, and smell of the scene around you. Oh, God. And for a one... It will be indelibly burned, perhaps right next to one of the worst things you have seen in the uh, your time as an un- slave to the undead armies of Thay. The following is out-of-character information for everybody, except for Caesar. The room you are in is far, far smaller than what it appears to be. You are at the end of uh, a long hallway, sort of uh, maybe a 20 by 20 hallway. The two um, minotaurs that are behind these figures, they are present, Mm -hmm. and they have weapons drawn. 
mm-hmm. and are turned. For what you were seeing, they were saying they're guarding the guy. Mm-hmm. For what you are, for what you are seeing, they are there as if to lash out at the figure sitting in the chair. Mm-hmm. The figure sitting in the chair is a very old-looking, very not desiccated, but uh, impoverished-looking sort of uh, creature. And it has, instead of sort of a, a metallic-y kind of facial veil that you were seeing before as part of his garments, it appears to be some sort of metal plate. The The skin is purple. Some sort of metal plate is affixed to its where its mouth should be. figure behind it, um, to the side, is an even worse, impoverished-looking... Sorry, sad sack of a human being, as you ever will see. There is indeed a tube running from back behind its ear through some sort of device on the tray that it is holding and going into the figure sitting in the chair and up into the side of the mask. The human figure that, that is near the Mind Flayer has a tattoo across the forehead that says Murderer. The figure is chained to the chair. There is one arm that it used to reach out to the coins in the bag that mm-hmm. has a degree of movement where it's able to extend out to the middle of the table, but apparently no farther. The other is bound so that it can raise only a little bit off the armrest, and it looks like the creature can only either move forward just a little bit from its chains, from the chip back of the chair, or to the left or to the right of that so it can just slightly shift position but it's stuck there the table itself is a black basalt structure Mm -hmm. it's kind of a square that is plunked there the box that you saw uh near and behind uh the party from the last episode yep appears to be a cage with some sort of creature inside of it Mm -hmm. that is wearing a collar and uh, there is a leash that is um, extending from the cage to one of the hands on the um, Minotaurs. Cesar is instantly enraged. Um, I would think it would be very difficult for him to restrain himself from at least attempting to lash out at the captors of these. Um, But he would try, and I wonder if maybe you want to orchestrate some way to illustrate that struggle mechanically. I just want, like, I mean, seeing this is, you know, what he dealt with himself in some way for 70-some years Mm -hmm. in terms of slavery, and that instantly is a trigger for him to basically want to flip his shit, to put it eloquently. Your sort of crazy eye twitching stuff is you sense that you are you are noticed yeah and the slurping sound does not stop mm-hmm. you feel that there is not an attack but you feel that there is a message waiting at the boundary of your perception okay do i sense a way to access that yes okay i mentally try to receive that message as that makes sense. the 
Mind Flayer studies the rest of the group, you hear in your voice a sort of, I guess if, if shadows could talk, there's kind of a, a, I don't know how best to describe it, but there's, there's an, an oily kind of voice that, that enters your head and goes, you have questions. I'm going to give you the same opportunity for a skills test. Okay. Um, Zenitari, noticing that Cesar has uh, keyed into something, would look to Bert and try to get Bert to move over towards the figure in question and see if uh, his light could shine some literal light on it and give me, uh, I guess, a clue. So. Okay. okay. One success. Please continue. Okay. Uh are the clouds visible in this room or only in the larger chamber? Only in the larger chamber. Okay. I would hold up my holy symbol and uh, say a prayer to Thunder God to give me extra uh, insight into the situation and to reveal anything hidden. 18. Okay. You're one for one. Um, I would try to do a mind read on Cesar or a mind link and try to see if I can kind of glean any information from his extraneous thoughts without actually violating his privacy. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, hmm. I would look to see in the light of Bert if there's any shadows that don't seem to match up with the figures that I'm looking at. Okay, very nice. I know. There is... is that four or five? That's uh, three failures before your three successes. There you go. However, very well described, very well thought out. Um, there is enough to put you on guard, but I like what you did with uh, the mind link on Cesar. You get sort of the tail end of something about questions. When I see him um, sort of lock up and sort of stand up straight like an old man shouldn't, <laughs> um, I kind of get the sense that something ain't quite right. So um, after being offended by uh, our gracious host, who's a bit of a jack-off, um, <laughs> I take my, take my gem and I put it back in my money bag. And I'd like to make a perception check, if I may. Okay. I would like to let the DM know that I rolled a natural 20. Guess who gets to bring Thorn into the screaming reality of what the room is for his natural 20. Ooh, with all the aplomb that you are able to that you are able to uh, to bring yourself. Okay, so he actually sees everything that we have seen out of character? Yep, I'm not going to make him do the skills check because it's a natural 20. Right, okay. So upon uh, you know this this glorious insight that he had or or glorious perception, you know, so it's like his eyes grew exceptionally wide, and you know, like whoa, it took all the light in the room, like all the light, all of it, and uh, and uh, immediately he sees through this strange uh, illusion that was before him before, but it becomes very clear that it is an illusion, and he sees this half octopus-headed thing slurping on some guy's brain through a bendy straw and he you know, and this is obviously Thorne's mind, you know, perceiving this. So the bendy straw, octopus thing sucking through it, lots of treasure stuff around still seeing that, obviously. But obviously also seeing a lot of great danger. 
Actually, by the way, also, Thorne, you would notice that there is no gold um, on the walls. It is a sort of stucco, brick-mortar, almost looks like a, 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 a prison. Lies. All lies. I've been just saved! Flip it's the all, bread. all the windows are barred and appear warded. There's actually, for, for that level of success... You actually see, if you sort of glance around, you see that there is actually a minotaur that you did not see before every 20 feet or so to the doorway. And the minotaur that you saw that helped uh, Cesar out is actually standing armed at the doorway. But this feels exactly like perhaps one of the worst prisons around. I am freaking out. Picking up where we left off. Right. You have questions. Um, to start off, um, this is all thought, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but he'll do it without... Well, I guess he's dealing with the guy, so it wouldn't be out of the ordinary to make eye contact with him. He locks eye contact with the my, the chained Mind Flayer and uh, thinks, Do uh, you need help? In a younger time, I would have agreed or promised or bartered. But this is punishment. I'm serving a purpose, a sentence. And someday, maybe I will find that sentence repaid. Would it be bad to let them know we know? It depends. You are not within harm in this location. There is a purpose to me. There is a purpose to all of this. I sense that you understand with the money and what your goal is that uh, it just kind of trails off. Okay. Um, and then he says, uh, could you tell anything, could you tell me anything about these? And he projects an image of the drow that they encountered back in Winterhaven. To the rest of the party... It looks like the inspection of each of you um, following Cesar, presenting the money, and vouching for each of you that uh, is he, he's accounting for each of you within the money bag. There's sort of a faint nod of approval from uh, the human sitting in the chair. To Thorn and Cesar, you see the Mind Flayer nod toward Cesar. Okay. <laughs> Not of doom. <laughs> there is a passage and many passages that run below the seven pillared hall. These have been a bane of the Mage Academy and the Magus for a long time. They're raiders. They don't serve this hall. They don't serve the trade. They are Disruptions of the highest order. Any recent news or changes regarding these creatures? I have only been told that there's something afoot, and people are afraid to stand outside. Something about the constellations. Something I have not seen in a very, very, very long time. Cesar projects an image of the the stars and the hand of Vecna. And the eye, or the moon eye, to him, just for his sake. That does not belong there, or I do not remember it. 
and then sort of glances towards Thorn and kind of narrows his eyes a bit. Awkward. Um, 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 what do I do? What do I do? Uh... He blames you for the celestial events. We don't know that, but he probably does. That eye, that red eye is a symbol of Orcus. That hand is a symbol of Vecna. Someone. And again, sort of eyeballing um, Thorn is, uh, has attracted some most dire attention. Cesar just sends a thought, a sense of uh, respect and regret. Um, I mean, he acknowledges that he's uh, serving a sentence, but he just still, of as sentences go, slavery is not acceptable to him. Uh, but he just sort of, as a thanks and a you know regret, just sort of sends that sort of sense to the the mind flayer, and then uh, looks at him, and then looks at the minotaur behind him, and says, "Well, I don't know about my friends here, but uh, I can see through what you're having uh, having us see here. And uh, can we just uh, move this along? I'd, I'd much prefer to to be gone from this place. We can do that. What you are attempting to purchase, you have come to the correct place. It is my goal, nay." part of my duty and you sort of sense there's behind it he sort of remembers his old days where he could just you know grab into a skull and you know he was a creature of power yeah but now he is a creature of power to trade but he's locked in where he's at but he still has a purpose to serve so he kind of relishes to a degree this thing the purpose of this room to those who wish to present themselves must gain one proof of currency and two story for their house we will do the proof of currency first if you are agreeable i agree the figure sitting in the chair points to cesar and goes as you are in perfectly human voice here to those who he has agreed to cover with this amount we must first prove that there is no deception within the currency. That the basis of trade is currency. And one of the uh, the servant that sort of came out of nowhere comes and retrieves the bag and it takes the, the coins, dumps it into a large wooden bowl. Like just big old massive bowl that would fit all that currency. Um, clearly magical because the bowl just keeps getting bigger the more currency is put in so it never spills. And then goes over and raises a panel on the box. From within the box, or cage, depending on your point of view, a sort of dun-colored, rust-colored creature appears and starts to run tendrils and feelers over all of the coins, and sort of is touching the coins and, and dabbling through the coins. You both see that um, on this creature, there's various little um, either feathers on uh, kind of like uh, fern-type growths on the tendrils, or on the underneath, there's like little uh, half circles. But where there should be like an even-ordered spacing of some of these things, it looks like some of them were removed. 
So this thing is going through and, you know, diving tendrils into the coins and doing a very thorough examination. The voice in Cesar's head returns, the seven-pillared hall has found these rust monsters to be most adept at finding fake coin, but we've had to do some modifications to them so that they don't get the good coins and be greedy about it. After probably about 30 seconds to a minute of examination, uh, the servant that had put the coins out puts kind of a, a, a boot to the head of the creature and pushes it back into the cage or box and closes the panel before nodding to the figure in the chair. And the figure in the chair says to the party, your currency holds true. But now the next step. There's a slight pause in the activity as the uh, servant who is standing next to the vizier is, um, and I'm saying this from the viewpoint right now, starting of uh, Thorn and Xanatari, sort of gives a slight bow and um, you sort of notice that the fruit and everything else that's been on this tray is... Everybody will notice this, or at least those two, um, is less than what it was before. In fact, the tray is almost empty. So um, the servant sort of kind of gives a bow, takes a few steps back, and uh, turns around and walks away, maybe to go get some more fruit. Not probably accustomed to being either alone or without a servant nearby, another servant uh, quickly steps forward, and uh, this one has a very large tray of fruits, uh, you know, very fresh, very nice looking, um, good snacks, but um, this one, dressed the same as the other, and uh, takes the position of the um, prior servant. You will notice, uh, if you decide to pay attention, and I'm going to give this basically a free perception check to Thorn and Sanitary, the spot where the servant is standing appears to be well-worn, actually indented as if uh, there's been a lot of feet standing in this area for a while. Perhaps this will give you an indication that this city is actually quite old. It was belief uh, last episode or the previous episode that Maybe there were some prior owners to the city and, and so forth. For Mithrin and Cesar, what you see actually is the servant who uh, has the um, tattoo of murderer across the front gets a very green, then kind of ashen paler, and two minotaurs um, that you can see come up and grab the servant as he starts to fall backwards. The eyes roll in the back of the head, and they're sort of kind of like gurgling slurp, final slurp, slurp. <laughs> they rip the um, tube out of the skull, or out of the back of the skull of the servant. One drags him away. The other goes and um, is still sort of dragging this long tube along the ground. Goes over to a... Uh, flagstone, large, you know, sort of stone, maybe a well cap type thing, opens it, reaches in, pulls out another um, human being. This one has murder also tattooed, but there's other tattoos on there. Um, 
you know, different crimes. Drags him over, clearly sedated, <clears throat> but uh, proceeds to shove the uh, the tube. Um, puts kind of a there's a sort of spiky end, shoves it into and up into the base of the skull of uh, this humanoid. This miserable creature looks at you, and you and Mithrin hear a different voice, but the same content is heard by Thorn and Xanatari. We have procedures for what you ask for. We need to know what makes the man sort of glances sideways towards Xanatari, but not disrespectfully at all. Maybe a little lower in terms of station, but it is the same look that would be given to Thorn or Mithrin or those who have not presented money at this point in time. We like to know the metal of the man or woman. We like to know who we are letting in. You understand by the nature, slurp, slurp, of this entire city. But we value trade. We value many things. Some things may not be exactly worth money. Your name, sir. Ah, that, that'd be Caesar. There is a procedure, magical, hands-on, at your control, that we need you to undertake. Each of you, perhaps. Are you willing? Yeah, let's just get it over with. Come on. Okay. Uh, Caesar, a chair, <laughs> very ornate. Um, this one actually looks like a ornate chair to both Mithrin and Xanatari's group. Um, and puts it in front of the table. You are instructed to sit in the chair and, uh, the figure in the chair, the vizier, extends his hand open into a palm, you know, sort of palm up, uh, gesture and indicates that you are to take his hand. Cesar sits and takes his hand. Okay. Any precautions that you are taking? No. Okay. There is, um, and we're going to be doing this somewhat a little differently today. Uh, as far as what Xanatari, Thorn, and Mithrin at this point see is, they see uh, Cesar sit, take the hand, perhaps ten seconds pass, and then Cesar's hand is released and we will continue on with the episode. This is going to be the same case for any of you that wish to participate. Basically, there's just a moment where there's a touch, done, and moving on. However, there's a little deeper content for each each of you to accomplish tonight. Cesar, hmm. um, a couple weekends ago, a couple weeks ago, I gave you some homework, and uh, the other day I gave you a reminder. What they're looking for is how does Cesar account for Cesar? If Cesar was dirt poor, if Cesar was the most rich and powerful man, that sort of thing. What is deep down beyond any sort of bluffing or intimidation or anything along those lines? What makes Cesar, you know, go? What, you know, describe Cesar, talk about him for a bit. If you sort of think that right now he's an artificer, he's kind of badass, he's getting out of the slave pits. But his aspirations are X, Y, Z. What does he see himself as? Hmm. Describe that, that sort of thing. Let's say, in a word, probably the best word to describe Cesar would be curious. He's always trying to figure out how things work, especially not not so much the inner workings of people, but things, as we've seen. He's constantly building, taking apart, things like that. Uh, 
he, you know, was struck by that at a very young age, despite the oppression that he was born and raised under, and uh, sought out opportunities to explore, uh, despite, you know, the risk of severe punishment, the most severest, quite easily being death, but due to, you know, a few uh, chance encounters and things like that that I've discussed in the past, he was able to escape death and use that curiosity, you know, to the greatest extent that he could while he was a slave. Uh, and he eventually got it to the point where he was able to use it to free himself. Um, so he is pretty much looking for always trying to find new things in terms of exploring uh, the inner workings of machines or just even simple objects working within and sometimes outside of the sort of bounds of the physical world and, you know, occasionally relying on the arcane world, but mostly sort of tinkering with the sort of the fabric of the physical world specifically and using that to sort of produce effects that most others would see as arcane. Uh, and uh, I would say that in terms of a projection of where this could take him, uh, sort of a dream, if you will, of his, uh, him at his pinnacle, his, the peak of his life. Uh, I just picture, just picture the man standing, sur literally surrounded by whirring constructs of all kinds, big and small, flying, crawling, uh, hovering just all around him, all created by him, all serving a, a certain purpose, whether it be pure entertainment or something, you know, more, uh, functional such as defense or or things like that um picture him living in a in a house or a maybe something larger a manor something like that which is also entirely basically a construct uh in a sense kind of like you know the the house of tomorrow that you always see in like old 50s you know where the the wash the laundry does itself but it's literally every aspect of the house is is to that point it's uh you know it, <laughs> to the point where the house itself can fly or walk. And then in terms of maybe specific things he could have, you know, since he is so far along in his lifespan, um, develop certain ways, maybe not quite what you'd call a cyborg, but having devices that could aid him, uh, such as, I don't know if any of you have seen, I know some of you have seen the new Batman movie, but the, uh, the magical knee brace that he gets from the uh, that uh you know basically just fixes his knee instantly you know things like that that could supplement you know any issues that would come from you know the life that he's led the age that he's at and the the adventures that he's going to certainly be embarking uh, you know currently and in the future you know maybe a back brace knee braces uh hearing aids that aren't just hearing aids but you know maybe add like sonar hearing capabilities things like that though Rest assured, he won't need aid in a specific department that you may be concerned about at his age. That's all natural. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> um, I also thought maybe he could, I could see him with, uh, some sort of device that he created to literally slow time around him, either immediately or universally. I don't know how, how, <laughs> what the scope of that could be, but at least something to, since often what it takes for him to get out of a jam is to sit, apply his mind, and then actually do some physical work to allow him to do that in a split second rather than, you know, the many minutes it would take. So getting to that point 
and having something like that. Um, but all of this, of course, is either in conjunction with or after completely crushing the entire undead nation of Thay. You know, with a preferably construct army to reduce casualties of any others, but I'm sure, you know, I could see him, you know, gaining perhaps apprentices to to aid him in, in construction and, th- and things like that to eventually avenge the injustice that was done to him and uh, countless others. Would you view Caesar as a conqueror? No, he's um, seen the what subjugation and, you know, power can do to those underneath it, and he feels no need to rule over anything or anyone. He uh, is certainly happy to work with, and like I said, apprentices and things like that, but it would be, you know, most likely those would be <laughs> eager volunteers that he wouldn't even really seek out. Uh he, there's literally, that's pretty much the antithesis of Caesar, I would say. Uh, second to last question. Mm. What if Caesar had absolutely, going forward in life, had no power, no money, pretty mm. much just had himself as dirt poor, doesn't make a difference in the world, Caesar? Um, he would, uh, work, he would do jobs for people so that he could keep himself, uh, Supplied with drink, uh, good company, uh, the, the pleasures in life that you, you imagine are free to most anybody who, again, aren't, you know, kept as slaves or things like that, but any free person, no matter what station they're at, can at least, you know, hopefully get, find themselves in, in some way to get, you know, a good meal, good drink, good, good company. Of course, this is out of character information for everybody else, but what does Cesar think of the party? Hmm. As a whole or individually or both? Up to you. Okay. Uh, well, he is... Tool or friends type thing? Um, definitely, definitely friends. Uh, he sees joining with them as a sort of means to integrate himself back into society as a free man. Uh, he sees that he's impressed and happy with generally how if you just want to use a simple term of good they are, uh, he's been exposed to a lot of selfishness, greed, evil in his life. And the fact, especially, uh, you know, uh, Thorne's motivations, at least on the surface are kind of shrouded, but Mithrin and, and Xanatari both seem to be sort of do-gooders for the sake of doing good. And that's not necessarily something that he shares. Uh, he does have a streak of selfishness in him, not to the point where I don't think he would do explicit harm to someone. You know, maybe he takes a little bit more than his fair share sometimes, but he wouldn't completely leave someone out. Okay. <laughs> Just as an aside, I, I, I think based on what you said, I think it would be very interesting if the young Cesar that Cesar met back in Mirror Mirror, uh, forget what the episode number is, but go back and listen to it because I'm proud of that one, um, was actually sort of like a Warforged body. Or something along those lines. That would have been really neat. The vizier releases your hand and informs you that uh, your examination is complete and that you have an appointment at the loom. And the vizier looks around the room to the remaining three of you. Your friend appears to have made payment enough, slurp, slurp, for the rest of you. He is either generous or... No, I don't say foolish. 
But there's different levels of generous. Who is next? Um, I guess I will. Thorn! You are yep. warmly, warmly invited to uh, sit in this chair. Again, everything that you see around here, aside from, you know, that one little glitch with the, the windows kind of thing, you know, this place is still butter. Yep. So, um, you're also invited to sit in the chair and take hold of the vizier's hand for the test. Okay. Well, uh, I say that Cezzle walked away. All right. Um, no, no harm was done. No face was uh, melted. So, uh, <laughs> I, I guess with some hesitancy, I take the vizier's hand. Okay. The same sort of questions that I asked Cezzle go to you. This is your time in the spotlight for the episode. Okay. So, um, basically, um, what makes Thorn? Well, Thorn was uh, abandoned by his pack at a very, very young age, so um, he's never really known his place in the world, which has sort of made him cautious, uh, wary, um, and left him really ill-prepared for for what he really has to face. Um, Sort of like a child... That's uh, that's an orphan in like you know the French Revolution. They they didn't really have a family to go to. They could never really be adopted, and they basically had to turn to their own skills for self survival. Um, which is really how he sort of ended up. He he only reacts via instinct. He doesn't really know any better. He hasn't been taught better because no one has ever shown him what is right and wrong. So when he acts, um, he only acts according to what he knows. He doesn't know what's morally right and morally wrong. Killing someone in order to escape is right to him because he needed to survive at that time. Um, Again, that's where his sort of thieving nature and his pickpocket nature comes from because he's always had to take from others who have had more in order to sustain himself. So, um, yeah, that's that's really just the more serious side of of, uh, Thorn. Um, the, re- the reason his name is Thorn is because he was raised in the wilderness, um, raised in nature, and he's always seen that the thorn is a-, a defensive mechanism that plants have had in order to survive, to stop predators from consuming them. So he sort of adopted that name, um, which I'll get into a little bit later. Um, his goofy attitude, um, which we all know and love, is actually really just a, a self-defense mechanism. Um, it disarms those who are around him. Um, they, they don't see past the goofy attitude. They think he's just a bit of an idiot, doesn't know better, but really it disarms people, um, to distract them from his true purpose and his true nature, um, which is, again, survival. Um, when he was a little bit older, he, uh, he joined the cult that you guys, you know, obviously don't know about, but is there in his past, um, hunting for relics because this is the first true form of family that he's ever actually known um, because they encouraged his skills, the, the skills that he learnt from thievery and, and having to survive. Um, you know, they encouraged him to use those to, to gain relics and, um, you know, through that they then sort of, he gets that approval that he needs and craves um, that he didn't get at, uh, in his younger years. Um, he uses uh, a bow. Uh, because, again, that comes from him having to survive. He always used to sit in the wilderness and see these people with these strange weapons, um, you know, shooting deer and wild animals so he could, they could kill and, and eat and, and live. Um, finding his first bow uh, after uh, 
unfortunate hunter decided to uh, shoot a bear and, you know, didn't quite live, um, the bear won. Um, so, yeah, he, he sort of took that, that fractured, shattered bow and, and repaired it, you know, using his skills to, uh, to sort of, again, survive. Um, he has a, a real affinity with nature, as you can tell from his name. Um, he's roamed for most of his life, even though he's been part of, he's part of this cult. They never stayed in one place, so he's always been roaming and they've, and he's always been taught, you know, these are the places that are, that are, that are a safe haven. So, um, you know, from that connection with nature and roaming, he sort of gained the powers of a seeker and he doesn't actually realize that he's a seeker, that he's a guardian of nature. Um, it's almost like um, he's been favored by a god, but doesn't even realize that he has these powers. They're just, again, something that he's grown with and, and used to survive. So, um, yeah, he he basically has these powers, but doesn't understand that he has a greater purpose. He's not meant for this dark cult. He's meant to guard nature as a seeker to to provide the vengeance or, you know, the be the warlike aspect of nature. To, to gain vengeance for, for nature. Um, and he doesn't really realize that yet. Um, aside from that, from what he knows, he, he seeks greatness, um, using anyone or anything to, to get on top, um, and to, to get what he wants. Uh, he wants the recognition, um, that he never received as a child. So it's a very, very sad and dark story. Um, there isn't very much upbeat to it because he hasn't really ever known that, that sort of, aspect of life um and it's something that he certainly craves which is why he goes out of his way to take coin and take um money uh in order to what he thinks buy uh, he feels that he can buy these things that, that, that are purchasable you know he can buy the love of a woman he can buy a house and all the meat that he wants and all the food that he wants and he doesn't have to uh he doesn't have to to suffer like that anymore um as for why he protects the cult and he hasn't shared it with his um, fellow members is because of that need for family. He's protecting his family. He doesn't understand that these people are just using him. So that's why he hasn't shared why he's in a cult, because he protects his family. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I've got. Okay, so does Thorn even worry about these relics and you know whatever he may have collected in the past uh bits and bobs and stuff and he turns into the cult does he ever worry about where that is going to be applied or who that's going to be applied against no um basically a relic is just a relic it's a piece of material put together in a pretty fashion um because he doesn't have those morals that you know other kids grew up with um he was never told off by adults that were around him because he was never surrounded by adults or other members of his pack he doesn't understand what is morally right and wrong so you know these artifacts for all he knows are being used to make the family bigger or you know protect the family to to make sure that none of the people that he knows within the cult um are injured or harmed um even though this cult belongs to a very very dark and evil cult so um yeah he he doesn't really concern him about what the relic does or you know what it can do or the powers that it, it has he just is concerned uh, of pleasing his family um, and that if that means you know tracking down a really hard to find relic or stealing it from one of his party members then he'll do so what about uh, what says I mean would Thorn be a conqueror or what if you know Thorn had no money no cash dirt poor just 
it was just Thorn and he didn't make a difference in the world. Um, he would go out and he would seek money. He would, like, he, it, it's basically the sort of, um, background that he's come from. Being dirt poor and being, you know, um, having no money, he basically went out and he found it. He, all the money that he's ever had was ill-gotten, um, in order to get him to this, his current position. So, um, he would definitely go out and find it, and if that required stealing it or, you know, killing for it, then he would, he'd more than likely do it. Um, because that stems from, stems from that, that core element of just not knowing what is right and what is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that can, it, it really twists his perception on what other people see. He, he basically sees what he does as survival, not as a morally right or a morally wrong action. Deep down, is the party now more family to him than the cult, or is the cult still family because they have actually given him accolades instead of the party seeing him as a goofball? Or I know Xanatari's been making attempts along with uh, Mithrin to sort of, they, they understand that there's something beyond the goofball. Um, you know, who, who, win, who wins out right now? You've, you can decide life or death for the party between them or the cult. Right now, um... It's a little bit conflicted. Um, certainly he, he has these protective feelings towards the cult, but these people have shown him that there's more to life than just killing and stealing. That, you know, there's a, a, a true purpose that can be gained from using his skills and that he can, he can be more. Um, however, there's still that feeling that these people are just tools in the long run, that they will just, that, you know, they're just another step on the ladder. So, um, you know, he's just being honest that these people, um, I guess they're friends, but they're not family. They're not, they haven't really made that attempt to get to know him more, to probe beyond that, that shield, that wall that he puts up, um, that everyone else sees. Um, so it's conflicted. Um, he certainly sees them as, um, like friendly group, um, and someone that he could, you know, belong to in the long run. Um, if they can break down that wall that he's put up around himself. Um, but yeah, it, I guess definitely, uh, the cult is, is more so still family than, um, than the group. So when your hand, your hand is released, like Cesar, you feel that nothing was implanted, uh, changed, modified, taken, et cetera, et cetera. And you are given the same notice that your, examination is complete and that you too likewise have an appointment at the loom this concludes the first section of the recap uh next week you will have a second section which is about another hour and that should bring us up to where we are currently in our recording schedule so i hope you enjoyed that and again i think a big thank you to rabbit that was a lot of work and uh enjoyable to to listen to the clips that he picked out and the ones that Uh, were of importance so look for a second recap next week and if you'd like to hear us record live you can find us on fridays at twitch twitch twitch.com slash genesee around 10 30 eastern time on twitch on fridays if you'd like to hear the live recordings and i welcome you to join us in the channel it is a good time (laughs) had by all so hopefully i will see you on friday and look for a second recap next week
Thank you for listening. You can find out more at deathd4dishonor.com, subscribe on iTunes, or find us on Twitter at deathd4. Please take a listen to the Gray Area Podcast about advice and interviews on relationships between gamers at genesee.com or signalsmedia.com. I'd like to announce that we have a new forum that is up and running and available on signalsmedia.com where you can go to Death Before Dishonor, that section of the forums, and you can speak to us. Uh, it's very new and and such, but you can talk about the episodes and if you like them, what you think, just in general to contact us. It's a good way to get in touch and we can have some discussion that way. So hopefully you will visit the new forums and communicate. Also, if you enjoy the show and you would like to show us your appreciation, especially around the holidays, you're welcome to do so at deathd4dishonor.com. On the right-hand side, there are buttons with different designations, and you can choose your own designation under the custom if you choose not to do any of the ones that are listed there. And we always appreciate that. It helps to maintain the site and the w- and all the you know materials needed, basically, to host host the podcast. So very appreciated, and we will see you next week with a new episode. This podcast is a part of the Signals Media All-Star Network. For more information on this and other fine shows, go to SignalsMedia.com. It's okay to stick our stuff in your ears. Really?